Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Always happy to have someone I've known for years on the show. Today, I have a good friend of mine, Mark Davis, who works at a company called BookNook, doing interesting work around tutoring, which is, dare I say, zeitgeisty these days. Mark, welcome to Trending in Education. Great to be here. Good to be with you. You know, it's been a minute, but it's always good to to hear you and see you and good to be on this podcast. Absolutely. When the oral history comes together, you know, back in 99 or so, we met at the Kaplan Mothership and had a had a good run inside of Kaplan. And then we've stayed friendly across the years and all those good things. You've had an interesting career heading into our time together and then really coming out of it. We always like to begin by getting to know our guests a little bit better Can you catch us up on your professional origin story? Sure. What's interesting is how it started is kind of how where it is now. And it's, you know, prior to my 25 plus years in education, I was running my family health and beauty aids distribution business on the West Coast. We distributed hair care products for Blacks and Hispanics. So it was a family-owned business of retail customers from grocery chains, drugstore chains all throughout the West Coast. And that was kind of cored by being for a while. And the Rodney King riots happened in Los Angeles after that case. And obviously, we had a lot of destruction. A lot of our customers, a lot of the grocery chains, drugstore chains, a lot of obviously downtown Los Angeles and other areas, fire, destroyed, vandalism. And coming out of that, there was a big rebuild LA project. And I started a nonprofit with First AME Church in Los Angeles called Reskill LA. The concept of actually reskilling the workforce so this kind of thing didn't happen again hmm. and getting jobs and career paths for community members that were looking for a new path in life. Hmm. And so the first family church really got together teenagers, early 20s, people who wanted to get a career in merchandising. I put together a program with a lot of our retail customers or thrifty drugs, routes or Vons or Kmart saying, hey, if we put folks through a merchandising training program. And I have, after six weeks, people are showing up on time. They know the trade. They're mm-hmm. great workers. Would you like get them full-time jobs into your store chains? Like, yeah. Yes, yeah, we would do that. And so as part of that though, there was a lot of academic tests and requirements that were for those jobs. And so, you know, the folks that we had coming in to kind of these cohorts, we ran them in like these eight-week cohorts of training programs, become good merchandisers. I ended up having to build out a, a pretty strong academic component yeah. because there was some testing that went in to get the job with the math and reading. Mm-hmm. I started just tutoring a lot of the folks that we had in there going through these different cohorts. I yeah. set up the academic program, it kind of built it, and it kind of got me into the education bug and like impacting someone's life that be able to work with them, get them through a barrier into mm-hmm. a new career path was yeah. someone lightning. When I had the opportunity to kind of stay in that industry, I completely pivoted into education. And that's yeah. when I, you know, I literally said goodbye to that world and went to work for what was SCORE, which had just, you know, the SCORE Learning Centers had just been acquired by Kaplan. And that's yeah. kind of when I started that journey. Right. It's interesting. This is why I recommend to people they should have a podcast. I've known you for like 25 years and I don't think I really knew that aspect of your backstory until just now. Although I did know you were good at saying merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. So now that makes more sense to me when I hear it. 
But then from there, you've been on a really interesting ride, generally focused on K-12. You've mentioned coming full circle. Now you're with a company called Booknook. Can we yeah, fast book. forward through those years to how you got to where you are today? I spent uh, time in the for-profit area of education. I was teaching, working with districts, worked at some nonprofits as well on this journey. And, you know, now I'm the vice president of learning services with Booknook. And, you know, it kind of coming full circle to where I said started, just like the impact of tutoring and working and making a difference in students' lives, but also having, you know, in my background, I've had reading as part of it. And that's obviously, you know, a core component right now of what we're doing at Booknook with a very scalable and synchronous reading program. It's like combining the two for me, where I've been in places where I've dealt with tutoring or I've dealt with reading. But coming to somewhere where you can bring those two worlds together and work with districts in a way that you can scale this type of work was really exciting. And that's picking up on the trend that is really emerging a lot is just around tutoring as a delivery format. You and I are one-on-one -on -one live right now in a Zoom room. This is the type of format that is emerging across the globe coming out of the pandemic. And then also the need to be face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with other humans, some of whom might be tutors. That is still a massive trend that is out there. Booknook is connected to that, but it's a pretty broad universe when we talk about this mega trend around tutoring. Can you zero in a little better for me and our listeners? What do you mean by tutoring and what type of work Booknook is doing? Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's the right question because the word tutoring is just, you know, based on coming out of the pandemic and where we are, you know, with learning loss or whatever you want to call it, unfinished learning or yeah, anything. Yeah. You, like, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm a little bit triggered uh, by the uh, word we'll, learning we'll loss, get, but we'll, we'll allow you it. You can't lose something. You can't lose something you never got. So let's exactly. not go It's the whole, so. you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. It's like mathematically not correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So whatever you is like, it's obviously a thing now, but it's got such a wide spectrum of what it really means. When you hear the word tutoring, yeah. you know, what are you thinking? Because, and I, you know, looking at autism, there's an autism spectrum, right? I have a child who's on the ADHD side of that spectrum. I have a friend who's got a son, it's not even, he's in his mid twenties now who's severely autistic. What he and I deal with are completely different worlds. Yep. Now we may be on the quote spectrum together, but the day-to-day -day of what my friend's life and what my life is like are completely different in mm -hmm. the way we can we relate to and the learning styles of our children. When you talk about tutoring, are we talking about chatting with someone, you know, on a problem you're having trouble with on page 37 of your biology textbook? Or are you talking about learning a concept that you have not, whether you learned it incorrectly, you never got it, it was skipped over. Are you dealing with a human being that's meeting with you four times a week for 30 minutes to drive in new concepts that you don't, you need to master to move on to your educational career? Those are two completely different modalities. They're different right. ways of thinking. Either one can be positive in certain ways. You just have to know what you're if you're a district or if you're a consumer, what you're buying and what it's trying to deliver, because not one thing can do it all. Like what we do at Booknote currently was much more on the high impact side of things. They each have their own methodology and importance and strengths within what you're trying to execute. 
but everything is not all just kind of painted with the same brush. But that doesn't mean that being able to chat with somebody about page, you know, problem 39 and page 78 it doesn't have relevance. It doesn't sure. mean that's not important to the overall puzzle of the learning portfolio you want to bring to your students in a given district. Sure. But for the fact that most of the people that we tapping into it, we'd be gifted and talented and honor students. If you're buying it for 10,000 kids, you're going to get usage from maybe 1,500 of them or 1,000 of them, and it's not going to be the students that need it the most. Right. That's a disconnect. If you're selling that to your board or if you're selling that to your community or if you're, you, you know, as educators, you're believing that that's the way I'm going to fix this, this, and this and fix everything under that methodology, you're incorrect. Right. When it's a piece of the puzzle, you know, it's all these things have different parts to play and making sure you're fitting in that part in the right modality with the right group of kids, with the right educators and the teachers that see that value. That's the real key yeah. to all this. Yeah. And then just to reinforce what you're talking about, the learning loss is felt maybe most acutely around learning how to read and learning how to hit some of those basic literacy milestones early in your academic life so that everything else can really be built on top of that foundation of literacy. This is where it does wind up touching on like public health level impact and a place where we're woefully behind as a nation in terms of getting to acceptable reading level and reading competency. That's the main target of the work that Booknook's doing. Literacy is life, right? You can't solve a math problem without, you know, a word problem is a reading problem before it turns into a computational problem. Right. So you can have a student on the math side, they may understand the actual math could do the equation, but they can't take the two paragraph word problem and turn it into the equation they know. Yeah. So that's a literacy problem before that's becoming a math problem or a science problem or a social studies problem. But I think for us, one of the key attributes of doing the work, when you're talking about the type of service intensive tutoring, bringing in humans to work with people in school districts, what that entails, it's a logistics operation, even more so as much as an academic one. If you know you have a great curriculum and you know you have good human beings to work with it, that's fine. But like the logistics of pairing that- It's a whole, supply chain problem, Mark. Yeah. So we talk about the, you know, all of that coming full circle, but that's the key that you, that vendors and partners and companies fail to often understand with K-12 education, especially if you look at a lot of them that come out of the retail sector. You know, I said Kaplan was a retail organization that tried to get into the institutional business and had some challenges. They was successful, but it also didn't fit into the model. It was so different than everything they do. Right. You know, you look up a uh, 10 marks which was a math company that Amazon, one of the greatest logistical companies out there, they could not make it work because their logistics that they function are on the retail side and with consumers. So when you get into an institutional school district that's bureaucratic, it's inefficient, it's often making decisions with boards and unions and all kinds of stakeholders that don't always you know, make rational sense as an operator. If you function your business to assume that your customer is going to behave in a rational, organized way, and you're working with large K-12 bureaucratic school districts, you're going to find that you're not matching up your solution to how a district operates and thinks. And those companies and those organizations that really think that through properly. And like us, we get that in the reading space, but now we have to decide, okay, we really understand this logistical, intangible 
aspect of being good partners with districts. Now do we need to take that into other subject areas? We need to do different types of partnerships in ways that we haven't been doing. And that's kind of the next phase for us to start thinking about too, because you know th that part is the hardest. And we've gotten really good at the state level or at big districts. We've scaled our work really well. We've operationalized it well. And you know, now you say, okay, now we've got that, we have that understanding. What do we do with it? A lot of people that are in this are still trying to figure that part out. Like, they, right. why does this not work like it works with my mom and or other parents that are buying tutoring for their kids? Right. And like that interaction seems to work for me, but I can't make that work in a school district. Why? Well, there's right. a whole bunch of different incentives and a whole different things you need to understand and a whole different operational cadence that makes one version of tutoring yeah. successful and you enter it in the same organization enters it on the institutional side and they fail miserably on. Right. Right. And that's why you got to have those flexible operating models and you got to be able uh -huh. to pivot and respond to what's new and emerging out there in the world. One of those elements is just online tutoring period thoughts on that. How does book nook address face-to-face -face versus online tutoring? Cause that's probably the biggest shift we've seen that and perhaps some of the funding that the federal government really put behind tutoring as an intervention to really help us catch up. But how is the tutoring delivered and, and how do you think about face-to-face -face versus live online and other formats? Well, look, I don't always look at the fact that we're tutoring students. We're supporting educators. So it's more like, how are we supporting teachers that are working with the students that are there? And so from a virtual standpoint, that gives us a lot more power. So we are a virtual tutoring organization. And, you know, the power in that is that I can find you the best human capital, the best algebra instructor, the best reading instructor from anywhere in the country. That person doesn't have to live 20 miles from your school or your district to be that person. Right. So you like to be able to get what you would hope to be the best talent to be able to work with students as much much easier when you can pull from that talent from anywhere. And then you look at that outside of tutoring and outside of supporting, hey, if someone needs help with special education and getting somebody who can work with dyslexic readers, they may not have anyone in their rural community or in their area that can do that. So right. you can pull in expertise like, hey, I need somebody who can speak a certain language to work with certain kids, or I need someone who has, the, again, an IEP special ed background that yep. can work with certain students. And so I'm able to pull that talent from anywhere and pull that into a district space. And also you can do things by grouping students back to a, like a dyslexia conversation. I can have a student that's in building A and another student that's in building C and building D. And if they were face-to-face, -face, they wouldn't meet into a group to read together. They're at the same level. They have similar issues. I can group them together now at two o'clock and pair them with somebody with the right background to work with those kids in a way virtually that I cannot do if I have to do that face-to-face. -face. That doesn't mean like, obviously, like we're engaging with each other on Zoom through virtual integration with a group of four kids. That's a certain talent in its own right. So the person there may be great at math, maybe great at reading or whatever content area, but how good are they at connecting human beings in a virtual way? Yeah. That's a skill set in its own right that we spend a lot of time delving into because that's obviously key to our model.
but it's not intuitive. It's not like you can just snap your fingers working with one-to-one or working with four-to-one virtually. Someone face-to-face being able to do that, you see cues, you can yeah. manage a group. Like there, there's a lot of power to that. I think when what we can do, again, comes to the scalability and ability to take the, like the work we do and scale it in a massive way that you can't do when you're face-to-face. So again, it doesn't mean one better or worse than the other. They're just different ways of doing it. Yeah, it makes sense. But you're focused on the virtual side, and then there's a combination of one-to-one and one-to-few. Both of those mm-hmm. formats are out there in the mix, not to mention professional development and other ways to engage with the teachers who certainly need the help and support. So that all makes a lot of sense to me. And then we haven't really gotten into technology, which I think makes sense because ultimately this is generally a human powered endeavor. Although since last November, we're all thinking more about the robots and the AI and the future Thoughts on that? Like, how do you think about the technology? Also, some of the stuff you were talking about operationally sounds like human know-how, but ultimately over time, I think we are trying to understand, is there some technology special sauce that can be brought into the mix? How are you thinking about that aspect of solving the tutoring problem and solving it at scale? Technology and AI, I think the first place it's going to you know, make strong inroads is in kind of the problem solving area, that area of tutoring that's now covered through a chat conversation with somebody in Canada for 20 seconds about a problem or something. Right. Like that AI, I think is that that's the first wave where I think there'll be some, some push on and successfully, you know, what we do. And I think where you get into the world of students that are several grade level behind in a certain subject area, that takes both an academic exercise and a relationship, actually. You're bringing in the relationship with the person. So for us, you know, we try and connect a tutor with a student or a group of students. It's the same tutor throughout the length of You're not seeing me on Monday and you yeah. on Wednesday. It's all about continuity of care. Sure. But in doing so, like, there's an important, I mean, for us as we actually get a lot from being a third party to that district, working with those kids, because our tutors don't come in with any preconceived notions of who those kids are. What challenges they have? We're not in the teacher's lunchroom talking about this kid and, oh, what a problem that person is in school and their brother was a problem and all this. But the kids like almost got, like they started from behind before they even get into the classroom because the teacher's already got a preconceived notion of who they are. Yeah. So when we come in for tutoring, one, we're not creating the kids for the most part. We're there to meet them where they're at and get them to be successful and build on that. And it's not like, hey, I don't have to get through my scope and sequence because I'm, you know, I'm a teacher who's got to get to this and get to this and get to this. And, I need, and getting through these different things, I'm not grading you. I'm not there to judge you. I'm there to really support and work with you. So building that up. So the students that have been beaten down or are struggling, yeah. creating that emotional connection to their outcomes is critical. And I think that's where chat and some of the technology, that that's something maybe far down the road that 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 goes, but and, you know, immediately that's going to be an area where that struggles. And it's hugely important when you look at that puzzle of building the relationships. How do you connect with the teacher and talk about, you know, part of the work we don't want to exist in isolation as like a tutoring company that's sitting here doing something that someone at a district office says you need to do, but I'm never communicating to that kid's court teacher or talking about what are the aspects of these children that we need to know about? What are their group dynamics? What are their learning styles? All those kind of things. You want to make sure that both the teachers that are there working with those kids on a daily basis are connected to the work you're doing. So it's simpatico. 
Yeah. It's not just something that's kind of like a, you know, UFO coming in from the outside. You're not even sure what the hell, what's going on. It's being done to you versus you as an educator doing it, driving it and understanding it. Yeah. I always get curious about the future of work and for folks who are working in education, you know, you've had a long and varied career rising through the ranks of education, education management, tutoring, all the things you've been doing. What attributes do you think really help someone be a great tutor? You were kind of touching on it there. And then thoughts about how jobs in education and jobs related to tutoring and these types of interventions, where you see them heading in the future. So keep using this word academic support, because I think the type of work that organizations like ours and that want to do is support educators in the way they need to be supported. And sometimes that may be implementing a high impact or high dosage tutoring cadence with a subset of students, maybe working during a double block period on Monday, Wednesday, Friday that a teacher has. And I'm working with five kids on Monday to help them out. And I'm working on Wednesday with a different five kids. And on Friday, I'm working with the different five kids. I'm literally a built-in coach, you know, or a para that that teacher has at their disposal. So think about that when you get into the framework of where districts are right now with teachers leaving the profession in droves or how difficult it is to recruit new teachers into the profession because they feel undervalued, underpaid, and also just like unsupported in a way that what they've got to do, if they've got a built-in mechanism to be able to almost have a virtual TA, to have a para that can work on things that they need to be done, and that's connected is that tutoring? Sure. I may mean, guess it's like how I think that type of work and how you want to engage in it is going to change a lot. And so us as an organization have to be prepared for it. Hey, we've been doing a lot of high dosage tutoring, but there's a lot that we can help out for those teachers that need that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, double block period and need some support during there. Or maybe it is homework help at three o'clock after school for the third graders or you know, maybe it is coach. Uh, hey, I what I this really needs. I need someone who can be an Orton Gillingham specialist for this group of kids. And can you get me an Orton Gillingham specialist that can work with these students? I don't have the you know ability yeah. to that. Here's my need. Filling in those need with human capital for districts in ways they hadn't thought through before. So I think that from the future standpoint, there's going to be a lot of different ways that people in education can help and organizations that figure out how to be surgical. It's not one size fit all, you know, even within the same district and within the same building, you're going to have different needs that you're filling for different groups of grade bands or, you know, department heads in different ways based on how they want to do things. And, you know, what I would say to folks who want to get into this space, you know, whether it's on a nonprofit or for-profit or a district, you know, understand the mission drives all. And if you're a mission-oriented person, for me, I love this work because it combines you know, if you think, I, I like the economics of it. I like, like, I don't fear talking about money because I think if you actually do well and you get revenue, that allows you to invest in your services and provide more support and get better educational outcomes and creates to the mission that you're on. Yeah. So we get to be one of the rare areas where your mission drives revenue, your revenue drives mission. Now you got that seesaw going and your your mission work is doing what it needs to be doing and you're making the impact, well, then you're going to do well from a revenue standpoint. And you take that revenue, you bring it back into your organization and you into your mission, you grow your mission. There's not a lot of places where you get that. And you can get that on the for-profit side. You can get that on the nonprofit side. 
understanding it if you're on a district side is really important. The need for logistics, that aspect of if you're a district working with tutoring companies, for a tutoring company working with districts, you have to understand both sides of that coin. And I can have the best curriculum, I can have the best educators, but I've seen situations where I've had that person and that educator at 10 o'clock waiting for a kid or a group of kids, and they're not there. They're literally no one on the other side of the Zoom, right? Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't do anyone any good. Right. Right. So I, I you know, I can have the best curriculum in the world, the best tutor in the world, but if there's, you're not there. Right. And the logistics have been failed at some point because someone in the district office didn't realize that someone at that school has a prep period of 1030 and they can't do 1030 anymore. Or this, right. this time change happened or this bus is not going to be able to get this thing to happen. Like, yeah. So knowing the bus schedules, knowing the calendar, knowing all these different, it plays such a huge role into doing this because what the worst thing you could do is have a great set of curricular resources and a great educator and then just not missed connection there yeah. or you have a student that's there waiting for, and they're very excited to talk yeah. to someone who's now going to, you know, not speak down to them and not get them confused. It's going to actually forge a relationship with them and make them feel empowered for the first time. And that person's not there. Right. Because some, you know, some technological thing didn't happen or that person didn't show up or there's no sub there for that person to be there. That's, you know, you can't have any of that. So you, all your logistics are, as much as important as your academics and your human capital, like the three, those three things are so critical in this. And sometimes the logistics aspect is so missed in the importance. Yeah. It's interesting too, because it does speak to some of the skills you might be thinking about when you're thinking about the future of work is that adaptability, some business sense, business acumen, those are not always top of mind when folks think about a career in education. But what you're describing is a future where you're going to have to knit together those varied services, play with your head up, and still do so in a way that is very human and relational and connected. I think that's a really interesting set of skills that you're describing that's kind of implicit in what's making you and the folks at BookNook successful rolling out your program. You're spot on. When people think of getting an education, you know, they're thinking of the academic aspect of that world and not always about the business aspect and the business aspect and the operational aspect. Like if that's missing, the academic stuff doesn't have, like, yeah. whether you're at the district side and we see that with district partners that really their business and logistics office, their operational office and who they're dealing with when they're dealing with vendors like us uh, and partners that we want to, you know, really forge that relationship with do that so much better than some others. And it can be a district that's even twice. It doesn't have to do with the size of the district. I've seen districts that are quite large, do things quite well. And I think districts that are quite small be quite inefficient. But when people are putting importance into those kind of roles, into those skill sets, that then makes the academic aspects of what anyone wants to do, whether a district wants to do that internally, or they want to do that with a partner or a community-based organization or the YMCA or whoever it is they want to do it with, it all has to get coordinated. And yeah. it has to get coordinated through, you know, at district level, at site level, with parents, with after-school programs, all of these different things weighing in on time and attention. And if that's not thought through properly and people with those kind of backgrounds have, you know, they have an amazing future in education and a needed future and often is a missing ingredient into how 
organizations work with districts because they just don't, they come from it sometimes from the retail side. Like we talked about, they just, that need is completely different when I'm dealing with tutoring a parent's kid. If I'm paying your organization thousands of dollars to tutor my kid, yeah, my kid's definitely going to be there. <laughs> and so like that doesn't happen. The logistics are worked through for the because of the finance. And it, you know, that doesn't always play itself out in the way it should with district relationships. You can't assume that just because it works here, it's going to work there. Yeah. Taking a step back, we've gotten into the weeds and some of the implementation complexity, the importance of logistics, operational know-how, business acumen, all those kinds of things, the social emotional, as, as Whitney Houston like to say, I get social emotional, baby. I still do that from time to time. But what we haven't talked about so much is where do you see stuff going? Longer span of time. Tutoring is an implementation right now. It's hopefully going to catch us up. We're woefully behind coming out of the pandemic against a lot of metrics. Take a step back and maybe looking a little bit further out. Anything you see on the horizon, any big trends you're noticing, any thoughts on how tutoring may factor into the future of education? When you broaden the lens to academic support, I think that's where it's going to be very surgical. And so some of it's going to be like we're doing now, high impact tutoring, and that's going to, ha that has its resonance. Some will be chatting and some will be supporting teachers as a coach or in the classroom as they're in being there, actually, whether you're virtually or physically actually in the classroom as a coach, working with those teachers to make their day-to-day, -day, their week-to-week -week and their school year function more efficiently. That's where this is going. It's really figuring out the niche that's needed in a given school or district. And that could be a French teacher. It could be someone with special education background, someone who needs help with reading, someone who needs this work in mathematics, you name it. I think that's where having a platform and having the ability to logistically plug that in in a meaningful way, in a simple way that's not too onerous for a district is where this is going. And it's going to be figured out by those who figure that out and those that don't. Right. We saw this, like this happened, the same thing in No Child Left Behind and SES, which was like, again, a tutoring initiative through NCLB that got passed. It's an after school. And you had these organizations flooding into the space because there was a cash grab. And as soon as that went away, those organizations were nowhere to be found. When you see it now with ESSER money and tutoring, everyone's trying to get into this. You know, we were in it before, we're going to be in it after. The cash grab of ESSER is very short-term thinking. And a lot of those organizations that are retail organizations we talked about that, that kind of getting into this institutional space are going to get out of it because it's hard. It's the folks that really understand that, that are here for the long-term or figuring out how they play a role out of the role they're playing now is how do we fill in the gaps that districts and schools need? How do I help and support teachers at their most basic level? What do they need on a day-to-day -day basis to make them successful? And how you can fill that out with human capital that can be connected to the mission is that's the most important piece. It's gonna be very surgical versus very kind of one step broad. This is my solution. You know, it's the only thing that works. And that's not the case. That's never the case in education. Yeah. And it does sound like there's a little more one size fits none to this and tailoring of the solution to the specific needs of the individual or the school district or the problem space that you're going after. And I think that does require a different mindset rather than assuming there is 
one silver bullet out there. It's more that there are specific types of interventions that are going to work in certain contexts. If you're measuring, if you're learning as you go, you should get better along the way. We're getting closer to time here, Mark. We haven't really gotten into the future of schools, but it does sound like you're also describing something that is probably more by its nature hybrid and blended into the rest of your life. But any concluding thoughts, any ideas that we have really touched on that you want to hit on before we wrap up? As you said, none of this is one size fit all. You're not going to chat your way into, you know, learning two years worth of mathematics or English language art that you didn't know before and understanding what you're signing up for, what you're spending your funds for, what you're telling your community and your board that something can do is really important. Understanding what you're actually buying and how it's going to work you know, matching that with proper outcomes is critical to anything. But with tutoring, it's really critical. People in districts and people in school boards need to know this is what I'm buying. This is what it can do. This is what it doesn't do and understanding the differences. But for the future of all this, you know, as I see with my own kids, as I see in educational settings all around, students need to learn to think critically because the academics are important, but failure is also important. You know, right now, you need a 3.95 to get into San Diego State. You know, everyone's getting an A. No one's comfortable with failure and no one like teaching collaboration and how to work and how to problem solve is probably as much, if not more important than, you know, memorizing the presidents or the state capitals. My kids, he's got a test like in the state capitals. I'm like, they're still doing that? Uh, it's important to know, but like, you know, I could get that on my watch and like, you know, like I need to know, like my kid needs to know how to actually fail at something yeah. and push through and figure out another way to solve that problem. Mm. And, you know, that's where the future is going to be both of work and education. There's a lot of that collaboration and organizations like BookNook or anyone else that's working with schools has to figure that part out as well. How do you collaborate? How do you work? How do you problem solve? How do you find that solution? You know, that's what we're all about, but that's what anyone needs to be about to work in this space because we've got a lot of mission-oriented people. We like a business-oriented people and we got to match the two together to really get the right outcomes for the people that need them the most. Fantastic stuff. Mark Davis is the Vice President of Learning Services at BookNook. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Always a pleasure. I had to carry you for so many years on the basketball court, but it's so good to have you carry me through this. I hope I was helpful, but this is a great time and a great conversation. Awesome. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed it as much as Mark and I did. If you did, please subscribe, tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.